Week number five in the books. Plenty to talk about. Let's get into it. Full 10 Yards NFL podcast. Hello, everyone. Cecil Martin here. Hey, this is Hunter Henry. What's up, man? This is Max Crosby, part of Raider Nation. Hey, this is Ross Tucker, former NFL offensive lineman. Hey, it's Tyler Lockett of the Seattle Seahawks. Hey, this is Jerry Judah, wide receiver for the Denver Broncos, and you're listening to the 14 Yard NFL podcast. Yes, week five. I think we can now officially say we are a quarter of the way through the season after that funny sort of week four, week five paradox that we uh, entered last week. But uh, plenty to talk about. Let's welcome the boys in. Steve, evening, buddy. How are you doing? Yeah, good. There's never a quiet week in the NFL, is there? There's always something going on, whether it's on or off the field. But yeah, another exciting slate of games, some some uh, real tasty ones. Um, so yeah, looking forward to getting our, getting our teeth into it. Absolutely, mate. And Josh, welcome in, pal. How you doing? As a Browns fan, I'm exhausted. I'm <laughs> tired. I'm sick to death of getting the wrong rib of the green, even when it's the damn Ravens. But uh, no, I'm good. I'm good. I, I can talk about football for an hour. It's all fine. Yeah. All good. Yeah. You? Absolutely smashing, mate. We've got plenty to talk about. We could talk for many an hour, let alone just an hour. We'll try and keep it to around about an hour, though, as we always do. And we'll do this a little bit different, fellas, to what we normally do, because probably a little recording secret. Mondays are always a little bit of an afterthought on this podcast, because we spend you know most of the day sort of planning what we're going to do, and we kind of think, oh, was Monday Night Football worth talking about? Maybe, maybe not. I think this week, Monday was certainly a day to talk about, wasn't it? So, some massive off-the-field news, which we'll come on to shortly. But let's start talking football. Got to be honest, I might have to finally admit that Lamar Jackson is a pretty good quarterback, and it pains me to say it, but I might have to finally admit it. Uh, Another sensational comeback, come-from-behind victory for the Baltimore Ravens against the Indianapolis Colts. Took overtime, took a bunch of reasons to get that far, though, Josh. I'm sure you'll uh, explain that in a bit of detail for us. But ultimately moves Baltimore to 4-1, and Indy dropped to 1-4. and Yeah, so just touching on the Lamar Jackson point, his passing has definitely improved. Uh, You can see that just in the... comfortability of some of his longer throws you know he's not afraid of making those 30 40 yard bombs what doesn't help however is that the receivers usually have about 10 yards radius of space whenever he actually does throw it um which i think is probably more to do with his uh, dual threat than anything else uh, i have to admit though lads until the fourth quarter this was a blowout for the colts how the indianapolis colts didn't win this game i have no idea and carson went Carson Wentz looked like he was playing for the Philadelphia Eagles. He he was having a great time of it. You know, 25 off 35, 402 yards and two touchdowns. You know, what a great game for Carson Wentz with a line that continues to be battered and bruised. Um, the Ravens just looked really pedestrian for the first three quarters, really. Uh, you know, down 25-9 with one quarter to go. Uh, and then two touchdowns and two extra uh, and two two-point conversions. It's stuff out of a fairy tale, but I do feel like the uh, the Colts definitely, you know, they left a lot of points on the board. They left about eight, nine points on the board, mostly from their injured kicker, Rodrigo Blankenship. But 
credit where credit's due. The Ravens find yet another way to pull out a win from a loss. Um, I think that the Ravens have uh, made a, you know, they've, they've made a bit of a brand for themselves out of it this year. I saw a tweet earlier on, fellas, and I passed it on to yourselves. I uh, just want to share it with the listeners. The Ravens 2021 season lost a miracle game to Las Vegas, of which they could have won. Then they won a miracle game against the Chiefs due to a fumble by Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Uh, Justin took a 67 miracle field uh, yard field goal has uh, beat beat the Lions. Then they had the miracle of Drew Luck starting uh, in uh, week four, and then uh, you know week five you have the you have the miracle of Blankenship breaking his hip by the looks of it. So uh, you know it's I think the Ravens have have got a bit of a blessed life about them at the moment, but all fair play to them, they got it done. Yep, can't disagree with that. I mean, the the streak of rushing games comes to an end, tying the NFL record. They didn't get over the 100 yards rushing last night. Unsurprisingly, Lamar Jackson led the team with 62 yards on the ground himself. But Steve, I mentioned about the fact that, you know, I probably got to start eating some humble pie, and it absolutely pains me to say, but 442 yards, 37 of 43, four touchdowns, I mean, this was surely Lamar Jackson's best game as a pro. And, you know, he really is up there in the early season MVP conversation with what he's putting out there on the field, isn't he? Last night was an absolutely astonishing game for Lamar Jackson. Astonishing. He he is the first quarterback in NFL history to have a 400-yard-plus game um, and have a completion percentage of above 85% and throw four touchdowns. 85%. That's the line that that blows it out of the water for me is 37 of 43. It's not even like he threw like 19 passes like Lamar Jackson sometimes does. He threw the ball 43 times. Mm. That's not a Lamar Jackson that we're used to. You know, he and, and he only had 14 carries, which for Lamar is, is you know, usually, sometimes his carries are higher than his passes. So to throw the ball 43 times and to complete 37 of them, no interceptions, four touchdowns, that's incredible. That, that was one of the performances of the season. Um, um, Harbour called it the be- one of the best performances he's ever seen. So, you know, we have you have to start giving Jackson props. And I think he's quietly having, you know, the the he's he's quietly sort of worked his way into that MVP conversation. We talked about the likes of Kyler Murray, we talked about Tom Brady. Um, he's definitely, definitely up there. Here's a stat for you. We all know how much I love statistics. Um Lamar Jackson has 1,860 combined passing and rushing yards this season. That is more than 18 NFL teams. 18. But but you know what that shows you, though, doesn't it? If Lamar Jackson ever gets injured, you know, or ends up falling to COVID or something like that, the Ravens are screwed. But they, they literally have no other playmakers. I mean, Mark Andrews would like to have a conversation with you. because Yeah, he, he would, because night. he is Lamar Jackson's get-out-of-jail-free card every single down. But it, 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 does it matter if it works? You know, Patrick Mahomes does it with Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill. Oh, but one and the other. You see, this is the thing with Lamar Jackson, and I've been hearing the MVP talk all day, and I have to admit, it's already a little tired. Because, first of all, this game was won in the fourth quarter, right? Lamar Jackson was pretty much nowhere for the first three quarters. The Colts' defense had a game until they were eventually too tired. 
because what they were doing was they were marking Mark Andrews and um, and basically stopping Jackson from moving laterally out the pocket. That's why he had so little rushes, because the Colts knew how to stop him moving laterally. And, you know, the Ravens kept on going free and out. They kept on having to punt the ball away. Let's not pretend like the Ravens dominated this game. The Ravens blew out the Colts in the fourth quarter because the, the defense was tired. The reason why Mark Andrews constantly has great games is because, you know, the offensive line is great. They're able to give Lamar Jackson about six, seven seconds in the pocket. And by that time, if you can't get free as a top level receiver, whether you're a tight end or a wide receiver, you're not worth your salt at the top of the league. So as long as Lamar's able to hold in that pocket, then you'll be able to get the passes. The Colts did as much as they could until that fourth quarter, but it's all based on Lamar Jackson's dual threat. The Colts are rushing four or five guys at a time to make that work. So, yeah, I would say that realistically, it's a case of, you know, Lamar Jackson is the absolute key. This isn't anything against Lamar Jackson either. Obviously, he's a fantastic talent. He's making that happen. But, you know, he seems to he seems to be there for one quarter a game at the moment. It's just the fact that the quarters seem to be insane. The only thing you've got to say, though, is if he's there for one quarter... He's there for the money quarter. And at the end of the day, that's all that really does matter. I mean, to be fair, I think you've been a little harsh, 37 or 43. You know, I think he had a reasonable game. Very unusual for the Ravens not to be able to move the ball on the ground. I mean, Latavius Murray, six carries, 17 yards. Tyson Williams, four carries for six yards. And Devonta Freeman, one carry for a yard. Um, so the ground game didn't get going. It was on Lamar to win it with his arm. And to be fair, he did just that. Um Massive win for the Ravens. We'll talk about a couple of teams that have, have got similar sort of characteristics. I think the Chargers are similar in some aspects. We'll talk about that when we get on to review that game. But we have got a ton to talk about, fellas. And I think Lamar Jackson is probably the most polarising player in the league. And I'm sure we could talk all night and still come up with different opinions on him. But the important thing is the Ravens moved to four and one. Like I said, the Colts really, really struggling back at one and four. Almost, almost feels as though season over, dare I say it, potentially time to uh, start thinking about that potential draft pick they uh, could save by uh, sitting Carson Wentz for a few games. But we'll wait and see if that uh, becomes any sort of factor down the stretch. Steve, you want to say something before we move on? Just- yeah, just quickly on Carson Wentz and the Colts. Like Carson Wentz had one of his best games in the last like yeah. sort of two years. He was excellent last he, night. He was insane. He, was, he had a career high, I think, QB rating. He had a, a career high um, yards of passing, and yet he still picked up an L. If that isn't the most Coltsian thing of this season, I don't know <laughs> what is. <laughs> also, before we go, can I just bring up one last thing? Did did everyone see the fumble that Mar Jackson made on the one yard line? I just want to talk about how nonchalant that fumble was. How did he fumble that football? He just seemed to let it just sort of just go uh, out of his hand right at the end. Just hold on to the ball, Lamar. Just hold on to the ball and you've got points. For, uh, uh, to tell you what, this, this podcast feels strange for me to be the person defending Lamar Jackson. So we, we really have come full circle. But, but, um, but are you defending him with that fumble? Like, did you oh, see no. that fumble? Yeah, ball security, you know, you can never you can never defend that. So you make a valid point there, but I certainly think that uh, Lamar can take a huge amount of credit for the Ravens' record and certainly well, for the win last night. Of course he can. It's, this isn't mocking that at all. This is saying that... You still sound a little bitter to me, Josh. 
We'll leave it uh, there. Let's it's, move it's been, on. It's been a long weekend. Let's move on. Let's move on to a man that's had a worse weekend than you, and let's talk about the news that broke on Monday. Well, it started to break on Friday, didn't it? And it sort of developed over the course of the weekend into the news that we all woke up to this morning. John Gruden, three and a half years nearly into his 10-year contract with the Raiders. He's no longer the coach of the Raiders due to historical emails surfacing. Um, obviously, lots and lots to sort of pack, uh, to sort of unpack in terms of this. I asked our resident Raiders fan within the full ten yards family for her view on this. So, Zoe, I know you'll probably be listening at some point. Couldn't join us unfortunately um, to actually talk about it in person. But I just want to share this from the view of a Raiders fan. So, to quote Zoe's words, the Gruden situation is one that brings a lot of emotions to me. I'm hurt. I'm shocked. Angry upset, confused, and above all else, I'm extremely disappointed. The Raiders organisation stands for inclusion and diversity. We've been fortunate enough to home an incredibly diverse group of talent. We had the first ever Super Bowl winning coach from a minority background, the first black head coach, the first black quarterback, the first female CEO, and now in 2021, we have the first openly gay active player in the NFL. As a Raiders fan, this is what fills me with pride. But saying this, it seems that none of these groups were an exception to Gruden's derogatory views. It stands me to think of what Al Davis would make of the situation. To us, Gruden was a bravado. He played a character which proves that behind closed doors, people in power speak and act differently. It's easy for anyone on the outside to make a comment or have an opinion, but I really want to hear from the likes of Cole Nassib and all of the Raiders from minority backgrounds. I believe football aside, the Raiders organisation is one of the most socially advanced and driven within the entire NFL. I believe the way in which we mark... The way in which Mark Davis and the Raiders handled this was adequate, and all I can do is hope that we bounce back. Politics and opinions aside, this is an extremely tough situation for the Raiders. Derek Carr will now move on to another head coach. He's had five since joining the Raiders in 2014 and has only made the playoffs once. Worth noting that that was with Jack Del Rio um, in what was his second season. The language used by Gruden is inexcusable, and let's make one thing clear. John Gruden is not a victim of cancel culture. This isn't cancel culture. This is the results of consequences due to the actions of an educated, seasoned, and experienced 58-year-old man. As difficult as this will be for the team, and as disappointing it is for Raider Nation, ultimately, I, for one, am glad that he is gone. And furthermore, I am extremely interested to see the further findings from the Washington football team investigation. Lots to pack, unpack, as I said earlier, from you know, not just that statement from Zoe, but from the actual um, sort of news itself. And I think the important thing as well, fellas, is what Zoe finishes with there. Let's not forget... This stems from an investigation into the happenings at the Washington football team. I don't think we've heard anywhere near the last of this. And I think this could become a really, really ugly situation for the league. Um, Let's not speculate on that. It will come out when it comes out. And I'm sure there will be other things that come out. But Steve, your reaction first and foremost to the John Gruden news and subsequent resignation. I think, first of all, just so that Zoe's put it incredibly eloquently there, um, I think that sort of hits the nail directly on the head. Um, you read some of the things that he said that have come out in some of the emails that have 
been acquired by, I think it was the New York Times. Um, and it is disgusting, like, frankly, absolutely disgusting. Um, and the fact that he's already resigned, I think I agree with you. It tells me that there's more coming down the pipeline. And, um, <clears throat> and John Gruden is not going to be a very popular man uh, and nor should he be. It's, it's horrific what he said and some of the language he's used, um, uh, especially when he, there, there's no excuse for it anywhere, but especially when he coaches a team like Zoe said, like the Raiders that, you know, and, and, and some of the things they've pioneered as, as uh, social inclusion through the years. So yeah, it's, I think it's, it's good that he's gone. And I think the Raiders have, have sort of dealt with it as best they could in terms of just getting him out of the building and try and move on from it as an organization. They need to just concentrate on the field. Like you said, if we took it on the field stuff, Derek Carr's going to get yet another head coach. We've talked about Derek Carr before, about how he's a sort of underappreciated quarterback and you plug him in perhaps in a slightly better team and he, he would probably make the playoffs. Um, and and here he is experiencing his fifth head coach and he's only had one playoff trip. And, you know, I think I read, I read earlier today that 11 days ago, the Raiders were unbeaten and looking at, you know, potentially going to four and all in one of the best starts for the for a, in a season that the Raiders have had in, in, in years and years. And now how much things have unraveled all from the actions of, of someone completely off the field. So it's a real shame for the Raiders. Um but you know, I don't know who's going to bring, take over. I think it might be internal for the rest of the season. Um, but yeah, let's just hope they can bounce back, and let's hope that the football does the talking, and um, and they can move on from it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, let's let's quickly touch on it at this point. The game on Sunday, they lost twenty points to nine to the Chicago Bears. You know, I think the Bears' defense is pretty good. I think they've sort of kept the Bears competitive in most games this season. But that Raiders' offense that you know exploded the first few weeks, you know, nowhere near firing at that level. It was obviously going to continue to be a distraction. So it's absolutely the right thing. Um, Josh, your reaction to it? Um, realistically, I'm surprised it even took this long. Um, I feel like the NFL gave. Gave Gruden a chance actually with the uh, with the initial um, with, with the initial findings. I think that they tried to uh, spare his blushes somewhat. Uh, you know, just coming out with the one thing ten years ago, which I think people are, especially critics of the move, are definitely clinging on to, saying oh, it was something that happened ten years ago. Uh, it was an isolated incident, of which you know it gave Gruden the chance to walk away then of which, you know, it went steadfast. And then the league went, well, okay, then if you want to take that stance, here's a load more. And, you know, like like Zoe said, the Raiders are an organisation that, you, you know, if you were to pick an organisation in the National Football League that you do not tarnish with this kind of brush, it would be the Raiders, you know, um, just based on their, their history and the fact that they were really proud of that, you know, diverse history as well. And as well, they should. And I don't think that this would tarnish. It. I think the owner has, the owner has done well to just very, very quickly and succinctly sort of go right. We need to nip this in the bud, especially now. Like you say, I think that there is more to come as well. It might not blow up in the way that that might sound. I feel like they are going to, they're going to try and just nudge things to make you know to make moves happen because I, I think it's bad publicity for the nfl as well the league doesn't want to you know it doesn't want to shine this kind of light on itself because ultimately these are franchises of the league you know they speak for the league 
So I, f I feel like it's something of which has been regrettably done. Um, I think that uh, ultimately it's... Um, I don't think you'll see Gruden in professional football again. You might see him take a college job. Um, you know, it might be him versus Urban Meyer for, you know, a number of roles soon. Um, to touch on to Steve's point, Rich Brasakia Brissaka is the uh, interim head coach. He is the special teams coordinator. Talk about a way to implode your good start. Like you say, Derek Carr, you know, Derek Carr is now going to be led by a special teams coordinator for the rest of the season. And, you know, I, I was high on the Raiders as, as you both have uh, very well touched on in the past. I don't, I don't think I am anymore. Um, but ultimately I would just like to, uh, I'd just like to say that the main winner from this is the Raiders owner. He's just saved himself $64 million off probably the worst managerial contract I've ever seen. So, yeah, um, a lot to unpack, but I think that this is ultimately a good thing um, and definitely not cancel culture. I think we've definitely moved on in society from that. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think, you know, anyone clinging to this, it was 10 years ago argument, you know, 10 years ago, he was still very much a grown man. You know, there there is a danger with some of the stuff that's come out. We've seen examples in different sports where, you know, people tweeted something out when they were, you know, 10 or 11 and now they're 20, they're regretting it. You know, that's one thing. You still can't really excuse it, but it's at least a little understandable. Yeah. John Gruden was still very much a grown man 10 years ago, so I don't think anybody clinging to that really has much of a, a leg to stand on. Um, I think ultimately, has he improved the Raiders in three and a half years? They don't really feel as though they've gone anywhere in three and a half years, if I'm being honest. Um, you know, I'm saying that as a neutral. I can't sit here and claim to have watched every Raiders game, but uh, you know, I certainly don't think the experiment has worked on the field. And obviously, in terms of what's happened off the field, I think it's an episode they very, very quickly now want to move away from. And, uh, you know, hopefully they can bounce back. Be interesting to see as well if the Raiders, uh, the players and the team can use this as like a unifying sort of like mm. event and sort of come together mm. as a team after this and, and maybe put a run together. Because, you know, sometimes, you know, whilst obviously the circumstances surrounding this are awful, sometimes things like this can unify a team, especially this Raiders team and some of the players they've got. So, yeah. you know, they're, they're, I think they've obviously had their defensive troubles like you touched on. And, uh, and you know, that's that's not going away at the moment, but maybe they can put something together and who knows? They've, you know, they're still positive records, so you know, um, let's see. Absolutely, absolutely. Let's go back then, fellas, talking football. Let's keep going back chronologically in terms of the events of the weekend. Let's go for Sunday night football. Um, it rounded off what was the longest day of NFL action in 50 years as it stretched over 15 hours with the weather delay. Um, so yeah, Buffalo absolutely battered the Chiefs. Um, is it time to start worrying about the Chiefs, Josh? I wouldn't say worry. I'm not exactly worried yet. Um, I do think, however, they are on the outside looking in of the, you know, of the power teams, you know, of the main core of AFC uh, Super Bowl contenders now. Because it's something which I alluded to last week, much to the chagrin of one of our uh, one of our contributors, Liam. Um, who very succinctly in his uh, Go For Two podcast called me out saying that uh, I had no right to um, 
to say that Patrick Mahomes doesn't perform in the big games and that uh, I didn't give their defense enough credit. Well, Patrick Mahomes has six interceptions in the first five weeks of the season. Just to give everyone a heads up, he had six all season last year and five the year before that. So uh, there are cracks in the offense. I think people are starting to work out the Chiefs. You know, they're starting to work out the Chiefs a little bit on offense. There's a bit of bad luck as well. But realistically, this is about the defense. Daniel Sorensen, I mean, did has he fallen off a cliff in the in, in the last three, four weeks? You know, he um two blown coverages from him alone led to two of Buffalo's touchdowns. And realistically, that could probably have been the difference. Um, you know, that ball handling's not great. They just don't seem in sync. Um, but I do think that they have had the worst start to a season in terms of scheduling. I think that from now on, they actually have one of the easier schedules um, from this point onwards. I still think they're a 12-13 win team. I don't really worry about them, but I do think that against the bigger teams, they are not the favourites anymore. I think that's fair, and I think, you know, I... I keep clinging to the fact that I just think it will click, but they need to start actually doing something on the field to actually make that belief become anything like a reality. They need to win. Yeah, I I picked them in the game picks this week. I just thought home field advantage, and it was a big game. It was Sunday night football, etc., etc. But, Steve, enough talk about how poor the uh, the Chiefs may or may not be. Let's talk Buffalo. Um, I've got to be honest, week one, I was a little concerned. I... I wasn't the biggest Buffalo believer, I'll be honest, and I thought the Steelers' defeat week one, although to most was a surprise, and even to me to some extent was a surprise, you know, it wasn't an absolute unbelievable result. But since then, they just seem to be on an absolute tear, and you could easily, easily argue that they're the most complete team in the NFL. And I would say the NFL, I think, you know, you've got some good teams in the NFC. So, but I think in terms of offense and defense, this Buffalo side just looks the real deal, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think they are doing the opposite of what Jacksonville did last year, where they pick up their one win in week one and then go uh, winless for the rest of the season. I think this Buffalo team has picked up their loss in week one and got it out of the way in a surprise game to to Pittsburgh. And now they look absolutely unstoppable. Um, And I I don't know where their next loss comes from. I don't. Like, I look at their schedule. They go to the Titans, which is, you know, perhaps a tough game, but the Titans are so spotty at the moment that you just never know which team is going to show up. Dolphins, Jaguars, Jets, Colts, Saints, Patriots, Bucks, maybe, Panthers, Patriots, Falcons, Jets. Where do they lose there? Where do they lose? Maybe the Bucks, maybe the Titans. Mm. Apart Apart from a banana skin game somewhere where every team's got one. There is a legitimate chance that Buffalo can go sixteen and one. I think, yeah. um, and I was high on Buffalo preseason, and I think if, if I'm if I recall correctly, I think I've got them in the Super Bowl from my predictions before the season in in the book. Um, I've got a feeling I've picked them to 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 uh, to go. I was to the just Super Bowl. about so... to say, Sean, do you have the book? <laughs> of course, um, I have the book. But You're not the one in the look, margins. They should be fine. They just look so polished, and like the game itself, like Josh Allen, did, like is it fair to say that he he didn't 
do a huge amount. Like he 15 of 26. So he didn't even throw the ball that much, but he still had 315 yards and three touchdowns, no interceptions and no sacks, which is obviously all on the, the Kansas City defense. We'll come on to that in a second. But, you know, Dawson Knox having a, three receptions for 117 yards. <laughs> that's that's averaging almost 40 yards a reception from three. It's astonishing. Um you know this this Buffalo team is is exciting. They know how to win. Their defense is good, possibly one of the best in the NFL. Um, uh, and they just they and I think they just know how to win. And they're on a roll. And and momentum is big in the NFL. And if you keep rolling, you know they've come off the back of scoring forty points against Houston. They almost put up forty points against the Chiefs. They put up forty three against Washington. They put up thirty five against the Dolphins. They just cannot Dominate stop scoring. Teams. They dominate Absolutely things. dominating, exactly, exactly. And I just don't know where their I don't know where their next loss comes from. Um, and I think at the moment it is unequivocal that they're probably the best team in the AFC. I think that's I think we can all agree yeah. on that. Absolutely, yeah. The they are certain, class of it. C- certainly, the standard bearers at the moment still slightly concerned that the lack of run game. But you know, let's face it, they've been doing this now for twenty twenty one games. This isn't something new. Um, you know, so I don't think that's going to. Um, you know, trip them up necessarily. Just to piss on your chips, though, Mister Tough, you actually picked the Kansas City Chiefs to win the Super Bowl. <laughs> so there you go. Maybe you need to reverse that one, but yeah, there you go. That's what the book says, anyway. So Mr. if that's wrong, blame is not Mister Fact Checker. Indeed, but uh, a massively impressive victory for the Bills moves them up to four and one. The Chiefs two and three. Who would have thought that two and three for the Kansas City Chiefs? Last place in the AFC West. The AFC West, which is now solely led by one team. That team, the LA Chargers. Josh, it's the part of the podcast we've been dreading, but let's get into it. 89 points on the scoreboard Sunday night. 89 points, of which 41 came in quite possibly the most bizarre fourth quarter of football you will ever likely see. I hate games kicking off at five past nine at the best of times. When they go on to like 20 to one in the morning, I hate them even more. Um, but just the, just an incredible, incredible game of football. The Chargers obviously coming out on the right side of it, 47-42 over the Browns. Over to you, my friend. Uh, right, I apologise to viewers and to viewers and listeners in advance. Uh, I've tried as hard as possible to not let my to let not let my fandom sort of get in the way of you know reporting on this in a in a fair way. But something of which I first of all, all credit to the Chargers scoring forty seven points against one of the best defenses in the league, as battered as that defense was by injuries and everything else, to come back from fourteen points down, you know, is an incredible feat. To keep going, to execute on fourth down the way they did there. Three of three on fourth down. Um, you know, Mike Williams had a game. Justin Herbert looks excellent still. He's on a tear for, you know, even he could be in the MVP conversation at the way that he's currently playing. Um, you know, I I think that the Chargers look the real deal, and they showed that uh, on Sunday night. Uh, Derwin James had an excellent game. He seemed to be the only player on defense for the LA Chargers for most of the game. He made sixteen tackles, and you know, considering that he's not a linebacker and he's not on the line, that's an insane amount of tackles to have to make. But 
Oh, don't kill me for being a homer here, but if the Browns had even 10% of the luck of the draw when it came to injuries, when it came to calls on the field, you know, even a case of the drops, they'd have won this game comfortably by two or three scores. I mean, the Browns looked well and away in the first half, well and away. They, were, they led by, I think it was by seven in the first half. And they then went further up. They went up by um, by two scores in the second half. And realistically, they were they, they were clear. They, they were clear all through the third quarter. It was only the fourth quarter that killed them. And even then, the Browns had the lead with three minutes to go. Um, it's Baker's third career loss after scoring 42. No other quarterback has got one, more than one to their name. But Baker's now got Three, but he had a great game. Twenty-three of thirty-two, three oh six, and two touchdowns. Herbert, you know, bested that, although albeit not on uh, completion percentage. Twenty-six of forty-three for three nine eight and five touchdowns. Um, it was all about the Browns' rushing attack. I thought Chubb again had a great game. One hundred and sixty-one yards. Uh, Injoku was a real breakout player. Um, one hundred and forty-nine yards, seven for seven. Seven for seven, David Njoko. I didn't think we'd be talking about that today. Um, injuries killed the Browns. At one point, they were down 13 starters in that game. 13 starters. And most of them in core positions like corner and offensive line and wide receiver. Just just not great. Um, I'm not going to talk about the officiating yet. I feel like I'm going to let you guys back in before I start doing that. But Really good game. I felt like it was an advert for the NFL of the future. These two teams are going to be at the top of the AFC for years. If this is the sort of game that we can expect from the Browns and the Chargers for the next five years, sign me up. It was a really entertaining game. Um, and honestly, I just wish that I, I just wish that we had two full caliber teams going for it. I feel like it would have been even more of a spectacle. That's just because I love defense a bit more. Uh, guys, I'll let you back in. I feel like I'm. Uh, I feel like I'm wrestling with myself here. <laughs> you, you've you've been quite well contained, mate. You've done a good job there. You've done a good job, Steve. I'll let you come out as the neutral. So I actually watched this game. My a good friend of mine's a Browns fan, and he came over, and so I, I watched this game in full. Um, you know what? A, back and forth, completely all game. I couldn't. I couldn't tell you who was going to win it at any point. It never looked like one team was truly in control. Um, I think it's some takeaways from my perspective as a neutral. Um, this Cleveland defense is, is you never know which one's going to show up. Mm. You know, I, I get that the Chargers are a good side and I get that this is Justin Herbert and, and you know, he's, he's tearing teams apart left, right and center all season. But for the performances that they had over the last couple of weeks, when they, you know, when you guys were saying that they're sort of back, so to speak, and, and this Cleveland defense has finally shown up in this week, they just didn't. They just did not at all. Um, and the fact that in the fourth quarter, they had to to pull Austin Eckler across the line so that they could let him score and then get the ball back with more Best play time. of the game. Best play says of the game. more about what the situation of the game was. And, and um, you know, I, I think when you look at Baker, and I think Baker had a good game. I don't, I, I'm not slating him, but what is evident is when you look at that final drive, and obviously I'm not going to judge him based on his final drive, but just looking at that final drive, in his three throws that he had before they went four and out and the game ended, he targeted, uh, I think, Njoku, Peoples-Jones and Rashad Higgins. 
when you look at other quarterbacks when they're in that situation, your Tom Brady's, your, your, your Aaron Rodgers, Aaron Rodgers will go to Devontae Adams every single time and Devontae Adams will make a play. You know, Tom Brady will go to Rob Gronkowski and Gronkowski will make a play. Uh, Cleveland doesn't have that player. And I think Odell Beckham Jr., granted he's only been back a couple of games and he's going to take some time to get over an ACL. He looks a shadow of the player that he was at the moment. Mm. Just It's just not there. And I worry about Cleveland's receivers because with Landry out, I don't know how long he's out for, but with Landry out, you know, this is echoing of a bit of a sort of Baltimore situation. There's going to be a lot of play going through the tight ends. And, you know, you might have one receiver a game that might, you know, put up sort of 60, 70, maybe 80 yards. But it doesn't look like there's that threat on the receiving side of things that can win Cleveland games. And this is and this is the point I've made before. And I, I don't want to hammer it home when you've just come off a tough loss. But this is the point I've made before where I've compared Baker to the likes of, of say, Pat Mahomes. Now, I know Pat Mahomes is probably the best quarterback in the game. But Pat Mahomes has the ability to lead his team down the field and win a game like this. And I just didn't see that from Baker in the fourth. I just didn't see that. And I'm, again, I'm not saying that Baker's a bad quarterback. I'm not saying that he's awful. I think he's a good quarterback. And I think he's done a lot for that franchise. And as a lot of people were pointing out, you know, people were slating Baker at the end of the game. Absolutely not his fault. He didn't He didn't make some of these play calls. He wasn't the defense. He wasn't responsible for any of that. Do Browns fans really want to go back to the, to the generation that they've just come out of? No, of course not. But that's where his ceiling is. And I think that's where his ceiling is. And this defense has got to play better if they're going to, if he wants to win them games. Like you said, he can't be scoring 42 points and not winning the game. Yeah, 42 points wins near enough every week, doesn't it? So, you know, I think the you know, there's the 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 brilliant stat going round, the first team to score as many points as they did and as many yards and, you know, I think it's the first time in physic four hundred and sixty four games that a team's put that kind of numbers up and not won. So yeah, I think four, you know, six, Ed, four and one. Yeah, anybody records. blaming Baker Mayfield is is out of their mind, quite frankly. Um we're not going to touch on it for too long because of time constraints, but I just think that it is a real, real shame. And even Lee, our resident Chargers fan, will agree with me on this, that one of the worst officiating calls that I have ever seen had such an impact on the game. A fourth down, Baker, May- Baker Mayfield, Justin Herbert, pressured, threw up a prayer. You know, the ball wasn't there to be made. He threw up a prayer. Mike Williams of the Chargers all over the Browns cornerback AJ Green and somehow defensive pass interference called led to a 33-yard penalty, which ultimately the Chargers convert to a touchdown. You know, if the 33 yards don't get added, don't forget the Browns take over in Chargers territory to potentially go up two scores at that point. Um, It was an awful, awful call. And even the last play, to give Baker Mayfield some credit, that the Hail Mary is bang on target. It's it is absolutely perfect. on the it's money. It's, it's basically going to fall two yards into the end zone. He's got two receivers in the area. And David Njoku just gets tackled to the floor two yards from the end zone. Um, obviously a difficult play to officiate. I'm, you know, I, I don't want to come across as somebody that's, you know, bemoaning this loss on the officials. Cleveland, despite all of this, had plenty of chances to put the game away, and they didn't. And I'm Baker Mayfield's biggest fan. Until he gets one of these wins, he's going to get that criticism. I think some of it is way, 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 way over the top. Do not get me wrong. I am not defending the level of criticism and some of the harshness of the criticism. But the only way he's going to shut people up is, as you say, when he's got the ball in his hand with a minute and a half left, he's driving his team up the field 
and getting a win. Um, plenty of things for Cleveland to work on. As Josh said, I think these two teams are going to be here for a long time to come. And we'll touch on it when we get to the uh, the game ball section. Brandon Staley, my good Lord, does he have the biggest set of bollocks in the NFL. What a head coaching display that was. When we talk about three from three on fourth down, we're not talking fourth and inches. I think one yeah. of the plays was fourth and 13 in his own end, and he still went for it and converted it. So incredible. Um, you know, the Chargers must be so excited with what they've had there after the conservativeness of Anthony leading the three years before to all of a sudden go to uh, to Brandon Staley. They must be thrilled. Any final thoughts on that game, fellas? We're going to move into the speed section of the podcast to get through the other games. I mean, it was certainly the game of the week. I know you might accuse us of being homers on this podcast talking about the Browns again, but come on, there was 89 points on the board. We were only going to talk about that game. Steve, anything you want to uh, close on that before we move on? I think quickly, I would just say on the, on the Chargers, I didn't really discuss them too much. I think the Chargers are going to win the AFC West. I think they look absolutely unstoppable right now. Um, they should be 5-0. and all. It sort of irritates me that they're not. Um, but they just look... And they're, they're one of those teams that you look forward to watching. Like, they're such a good football team. Like, that aggressiveness on fourth down, I love that. They just look like such a good football team right now. Um, Mike Williams is having himself an absolute season. And it's funny as well, you know, you came into the season thinking Keenan Allen was going to be his sort of main threat. But Mike Williams is, is emerging as that as that you know, number one receiver. So, yeah, long may it continue in, in Los Angeles. Um, two exciting teams in Los Angeles. Absolutely. Mm. Most definitely, most definitely. Just on that, Josh, you mentioned Baltimore earlier in a bit of a miracle season um, in terms of the way their games have gone. We talked about this on Sunday, the climax of the game. Um, the Chargers have won all of their one-score games. Now, at some point, these things even themselves out. Do you think they can do it? You mentioned the Chiefs earlier. If you were to have a bet today, two-game head start for the uh, Chargers, where are you putting I your money? I think I've got both of them at 13 and 4. I think that I think I did a similar exercise today. I think I had them both at 13 and 4. But the thing about the Chargers one score games is that most you know they they feel earned, you know, they they don't feel like they've come back from behind and so it's you know it's not it's not you know real like bloody hell how the hell did they do that? It's all been you know they've been in there. So that's why I that's why I create a difference that's why i create a gap but um yeah in terms of in terms of final foot i i think that these are two fantastic teams at the moment i really like the chargers it gutted me to hate on them the way that i did after Sunday, but it wasn't really them it was the circumstances around the game and the fact that i could just imagine injoku just holding that ball in the end zone and then good morning football calling it the baked mary and then that would be it you know baker mayfield's legacy is secure all of a sudden and we're not talking about any of this for once but no it's like i said in the afc north preview show lads the Brown story is coming up just short. And this isn't a narrative of the last two years under Baker. This is the narrative of the last 40, 50 years for the Cleveland, Cleveland sports, really. But uh, yeah, just another, another Sunday, another bit of disappointment. But we move on. And honestly, both sides are excellent. And I take a lot of heart from it. Yep, they'll be there or thereabouts. Let's get into the speed section then, feathers. I mentioned that it was the longest day of NFL action for 50-plus years. Started, of course, in London, Atlanta 27, New York Jets 20. 
let's face it, it was all Atlanta, wasn't it, really? The Jets threatened a little bit of a comeback, but it always felt as though it was going to come up short. And when they got close enough, Atlanta just stretched that lead out again. Um, difficult, really, to sort of see either of these two teams doing anything massively going forward. I think they're both going to be top five, top ten picks in the draft. Um, wasn't exactly the spectacle we would have wanted in London, Dare I say, it might end up being better than what we're going to get this weekend, but we'll touch on that in the preview pod on Thursday. But Atlanta get the win to uh, open up the international series. Steve, another heartbreak for the Lions. Minnesota 19, Detroit 17. What have Detroit got to do to win a game? I know, so I harsh. can't. I can't believe they're still, they haven't won yet. They're still 0-5. Um, a, a Greg Joseph 54-yard field goal with no time left on the clock was enough to clinch it for, for Minnesota. I, you just you just feel sorry for Detroit. Like, they're not, I, they're, they're not a great team, but they're not this bad. And the fact that they keep losing in these crazy circumstances is just such horrible luck. Um, but yeah, Minnesota just uh, picking up another win. Um, you know, two teams that I don't think will be doing a huge amount this season. Detroit certainly won't be doing a huge amount this season. Uh, and it does make you wonder about the future of Jared Goff as well. He's just a one-year rental because they got two first-rounders to go along with him in the trade. So, um, yeah, I, I don't really see Minnesota uh, doing too much this season, but they'll keep around the sort of 500 mark. Um, and, and maybe Detroit might pick up a win. Do they go on 17? Mm, who knows? Can we, can we also get a shout-out for Dan Campbell's post-game? You know, the fact that he's literally yes. there bawling his eyes out afterwards. You know, it's such great passion. Love it. Yeah. I think you need to temper that slightly, I've got to be honest. But yeah, I know where you're coming from. He wears from. his heart on his sleeve. Yeah, look, I mean, look, let's not get into it in great depth. This is the speed part of the podcast. You could argue if they hadn't have gone for the two-point conversion, the Vikings would have essentially took a knee. We could have gone to overtime and who knows what might have happened. Um, but then again, going into the lead with 37 seconds left, you've really got to trust your defence to close the game out. So all ifs, buts and maybes. Let's move on to the next one. New Orleans 33, Washington 22. Um, Josh, is there a week going to go by that Washington don't give up 30-plus on defence? Maybe, maybe not. But I tell you what, this was another one where, in fact, the question I want to ask is what version of the Saints is the real Saints? Because once again, they led at the half and they just didn't let it go. Um, the, the main problem for Washington is the fact that, you know, this was an even game apart from the scoreline. Both had around 370 yards. Both had two turnovers. Both got two sacks. Uh, Winston's arm once again coming out saving. You know, that Callaway 49-yard touchdown was excellent. Um, and here's something. Here's probably the main reason as to why... Uh, New Orleans was able to get that gap. Blake Gilkin, their punter, the New Orleans Saints punter, became the first punter to have three punts downed inside the five-yard line. So, you know, it's all about field position. This was one of those games that was decided by field position, of all things. You know, it was um, one of the stranger ones to watch, and Washington probably didn't deserve to lose by 11. But they did, and their defense still has a lot of uh, a lot of holes, mainly on passing downs. Uh, Sean, your next one is the oh Houston Texans came up close. Speaking of bad teams coming close, a three point loss, twenty five twenty two to the New England Patriots. 
Yeah, Patriots absolutely squeaked one here, didn't they? Davis Mills was brilliant for three quarters. Um, you know, if you look at the box score and you look at his final stat line, you know, it was 21 of 29, 312 yards, three touchdowns, a rating of 141.7. Um, considering Bill Belichick supposedly is the master against a rookie quarterback, Davis Mills seemed to find the answers. Um, but unfortunately, I mentioned about Lamar earlier coming to play in the money quarter. Davis Mills and the offense just disappeared in the fourth quarter. Um, in terms of the fourth quarter, they went three and out. They went three and out, and they went three and out. Um, and unfortunately, when the game was there to be iced and to be put away, they didn't get the job done. The Patriots ultimately came back from 22 points to nine down to score those 16 points unanswered, um, including... 10 in the fourth quarter, which ultimately was enough to get the game won. The Patriots will want to forget about it as quickly as possible. Um, but Houston, I mean, I've got to be honest, they've been a little bit more competitive than we all gave them credit for. The last two weeks, they kind of had slipped to where we all thought they would be. I don't know if this game sort of was enough to sort of convince us that Houston maybe are still more competitive or maybe just New England aren't as good as what we thought they might be. Maybe they can't cope with all that uh, transition that they've gone through on the team. Steve, let's move to you, a team that didn't go through any transition, brought all their players back, and boy, was it clicking on Sunday. Tampa Bay, 45, Miami, 70. Yeah, Tom Brady put on another absolute clinic on how to be a quarterback of the NFL. Uh, 30 of 41, 411 yards, averaging 10 yards a pass, which is impressive in itself. Uh, five touchdowns uh, with a QBR of 80.6 and a 444 passer rating. Yeah, put on absolutely clean. Antonio Brown rolling back the years as well with 124 yards, seven receptions, two touchdowns with a 62-yard long attempt. So, um, you know, rolling back the years there. Uh, this this Tampa Bay team is just slowly reaffirming itself again as one of the best in the league. They had that early blip, um, and a lot of people were starting to question their defense. And I think it still does have its holes. Like this Dolphins team managed to put up 17 points against them with Jacoby Brissett under centre, who didn't have the worst game ever. 27 of 39, 275 yards, two touchdowns and an interception. Um, but this Miami offence and the, the skill players are just not showing up at all. Just absolutely not. Their, their highest receiver was Miles Gaskin with 74 yards. Um, you know, Jalen Waddle's a, a rookie, so we're not going to pile on him too much, but he's he's um, he's still struggling to get into that offence and really perform. Um, I think they're missing... Devontae Parker, um, but they just don't look like a great team. And for a team that last year we were thinking, okay, they finished 500 last year, they could improve on that. Maybe you know, 10 and 7 maybe is is a ceiling for this team. They look an absolute age away from that right now. Um, and they they come to London next week with desperate for a win, desperate for a win. And you'd think in that divisional matchup they've got to get that. But um, yeah, Tampa Bay rolls on, and this game was far out of reach anyway. But they attacked on 21 points in the fourth quarter um, to put up 45. So uh, yeah, another real impressive performance from the from the reigning champs. Absolutely. Um, Josh, let's talk field goal kicking. My God, did anybody want to win this one? Green Bay, Cincinnati? Well, let's start with the positives. Crosby did set a franchise record, making 27 straight field goals um, just before the madness started. You know, that, that was a Green Bay franchise record. Then, with his 28th after just breaking it, couldn't win the game. Could McPherson? No. Could Crosby? No. Could McPherson? No. And then Crosby 
finally did. Five missed kicks in a row. Two minutes to go in overtime, and the the wing could have been anybody's. Um, I actually think that this was one that Green Bay should have had in the bag. I think that Cincinnati did really well to get get it to overtime. Um, and obviously a bit of luck as well with Crosby. There must have been some wind swirling around in Paul Brown Stadium. Both kickers, if you listen to their little interaction afterwards, they were as surprised as anyone they didn't go through the uprights. Um, but both teams aired it out rather confidently. Um, Devontae Adams had a career-best 206 receiving yards. Chase made 159 receiving yards. Um, I think that um, Burrow's interceptions came at rather back-breaking moments, of which swung the game more in Green Bay's direction, gave them a bit of momentum, especially in overtime. Uh, you know, you, you can't turn the ball over like that in overtime, um, even though I don't think that that one particularly ruined the moment for them. I think that was a little later on. But, uh, yeah, Green Bay roll on. Uh, Cincinnati can take a lot of heart out of it. Sean, speaking of AFC North, the Pittsburgh Steelers got a much-needed win at home to the Denver Broncos, 27-19. Your thoughts? Um, yeah, I think the the Steelers got up in this game early, and to be fair, it never, ever really felt as though they were going to give it away, despite Denver making it interesting down the stretch. Um, just give a shout out to one of our new listeners, Mark, who I know is a Steelers fan, so thanks for joining us, Mark. Um, I think just from a, a sort of game perspective, it, it felt as though Teddy Bridgewater and this offence just took that first half to essentially get warmed up. I think it was almost a, a sort of late in the week decision that Teddy was going to play. And it, it felt like there hadn't been a lot of practice, to be honest. Once it actually got going and he aired it out, like I say, down the stretch, he became interesting. Colin Sutton with another nice day receiving 120 yards off seven catches. Tim Patrick, 89 off seven as well. Um, and I've got to say, fellas, Javante Williams, boy, does that boy run hard. Um, he always seems to have defenders on his back. But talking to runners, career day for Najee Harris, 122 yards. The Steelers' first 100-yard rusher since forever, it feels like. I think, to be precise, it was October of last season. So I think it was a 17-game stretch. They hadn't had a 100-yard runner, which is strange for them. Um, but that sequence is broken. Chase Claypool was a big difference maker. Um, 130 receiving yards from five catches. Um, not too sure what to really make of either of these teams, to be honest. I think Denver were disappointing defensively as much as they had their offensive struggles. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm still not massively convinced that uh, that the Steelers are going to win tons of games with um, with Big Ben, although he was efficient. And I think if that's the game plan, you know, he attempted 25 passes on Sunday. That's got to be the way, hasn't it? If he's throwing 55, Absolutely. they're going to lose more. So, certainly more Pittsburgh-esque. Um, and they move, like you say, to two and three. Let's keep it rolling. Steve, what a nice little victory for your boys. 21-18 over the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, a bit of a surprising one for Philadelphia. In the first half, they looked like they weren't interested and, and nothing was working and they didn't seem to get anything moving. And then they sort of came alive in the second half. It was a game of, of, of two halves, so to speak. Jalen Hurts um, had two rushing touchdowns himself. Um uh, didn't really get a huge amount going in the air towards until the end. Um, they're still struggling with this rushing game and how to incorporate Miles Sanders. I'm sure it will come. Um, but I think Carolina lost this game. 
Um, um, Sam Darnold, uh, three interceptions, one touchdown, an 18.4 QBR. Um, he, he really struggled. Um, uh, and yeah, and uh, Sam Darnold looked very much like the New York Jets Sam Darnold rather than the new 2021 um, Carolina Panthers Sam Darnold. So yeah, good win for Philadelphia. Um, sets up an interesting end towards the season as their uh, schedule gets easier in the second half of the season. Absolutely, mate. Josh, let's go. Tennessee, Jacksonville. Tennessee looked comfortable. Um, going up early, didn't really look back. Derrick Henry uh, was the uh, key component here. It, it was his fifth career game of 130 or more rushing yards and three rushing touchdowns. Um, you know, Tannehill was fine, 14 off 22 for 197 and a TD as well. Uh, but here's the thing, though. Um, Jacksonville actually outgained the tight Titans by 100 yards. I just think it was more of a case of the Titans were more efficient. And I think that this is going to be something with the Titans for the rest of the season. It's going to be a case of can they be efficient with the run? If not, can Tannehill do enough? And will their defense bail them out if neither are an option? They're a very sort of half and half team at the moment. And Jacksonville, I think they're just looking for life. They're just looking for something. They're just looking for their coach to get on a plane with them. They're just anything. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Sounds about, sounds about right. Speaking of coaches and turmoil, the Las Vegas Raiders with a shock loss at the time to the Chicago Bears, 20 to 9. Yeah, touched on it briefly earlier. Won't go into much more detail. I think, like you say, hindsight, you can obviously see why the performance felt a bit flat. I do think this Bears defence, though, is decent. It's all going to be about can they develop uh, Justin Fields throughout the course of the season. You know, offensively, the Bears, certainly nothing to write home about. You know, Fields 111 yards passing. Uh, they actually rushed the ball um, 37 times against 21 passes. So it's clear that there's still a lot of work to be done in terms of the passing game. But um, yeah, like I said, I think this is more about the Raiders and the uh, the off-field disruptions as much as anything else. Chicago moves up to 3-2 and two and the Raiders back to 3-2 and two after a promising start. Uh, Steve, one of the most impressive teams so far. I know it'll pain you to say, but the Dallas Cowboys move 4-1, uh, beat down on the New York Giants. No, I think you've got to give them credit. They are steamrolling um, everyone in front of them at the moment. Um, they are 3-0 and at home. Another impressive performance, 40-plus points again. Dak Prescott uh, is is clicking with every one of his weapons. Another really good rushing performance as well. This Elliot Pollard one-two punch is, is, is looks unstoppable for, in Dallas at the moment. Uh, and Mike McCarthy's really got them working. Um, so just another really impressive performance against, I think, a really weak Giants team. Although I will give some sympathy to the Giants this week. Their injuries absolutely killed them. First, uh, Daniel Jones went down um, and Mike Glennon had to come into the game. I think, I think even Mike Glennon was wondering why Mike Glennon was in the game. Um, um, so he had to come in uh, and then Saquon Barkley goes down with an ankle injury and it's about this. I remember seeing a picture of it on the night. It was about the size of a snooker ball. That was not very nice. Um, and I think they lost a couple of other players as well. Um, but I will give a big shout out to one of the most moronic things that ever happens in football, which is Kadarius Tony getting ejected for throwing a punch at a man with a helmet on. He's wearing a helmet, Kadarius. He's wearing a helmet. Why are you punching him, you absolute <laughs> moron? <laughs> it's a very good question, my friend. And I wish I could give you a good answer, but as uh, 
as by the tone in which you asked, I think it's fair to say you know there is no good answer. So yeah, a bit uh, bit dumb and ruined a pretty good day for him actually, because from a performance exactly. perspective, certainly his best of his short career. Um, let's finish the wrap up then, fellas. We've got two games left. It's all NFC West. Let's go back Thursday night football. Uh, the Rams 26-17, the Rams getting back into the win column. And the big news really is the fact that Russell Wilson didn't finish out the game. Russell Wilson may well not finish out the rest of the season, potentially going to be weeks and weeks on the sideline. Aren't the US TV networks happy with all of these upcoming Seahawks primetime games that Geno Smith will be the quarterback? Felt like Gino. it was game over from the minute that that happened, didn't it? Um, first time in his career, Russell Wilson will miss time. Um, if you wanted any leverage in terms of uh, getting a bit more power in Seattle, maybe this next few weeks will actually be a good thing for him in the long run uh, to see how valuable he really is. We will wait and see. And Josh, round us off. Um, wasn't the most thrilling of games. Trey Lance's debut for the 49ers, it fell flat bit of a flat game really Arizona though the still only undefeated team moved to 5-0 17-10 over the 49ers I mean you've pretty much just wrapped it up there really I've only got a couple of other points after that um, San Francisco actually missed a couple of chances to punch uh, punch in a couple of scores and uh, actually flip this but all credit to Arizona's defense this is definitely a game for their defense rather than their offense Kyler Murray couldn't really get much going and um like you say, Trey Lance's debut fell flat and all power to Arizona's defense. I think that uh, next week's game against the Browns is going to be a really interesting one for the Cardinals. And I think the 49ers could probably take quite a bit of heart in restricting Arizona to just 17. Yeah, and similar to what I said about Justin Fields for the Bears, obviously a lot of growth for Trey Lance and the 49ers. We shall see when Jimmy G is back, whether that decision ultimately gets made. We all know it's trending in that direction, however. Um, right, fellas, we've already done an hour, so we'll very quickly move on to Josh's power rankings. Didn't see a lot of movement at the top, my friend, but uh, very quickly talk us through your thoughts after five weeks of action. Yeah, so like you say, no movement at the top at all. The first seven are actually completely unmoved. So the Bills remain at the top, followed by the Cardinals, Rams, Bucks, Chargers, Browns, Chiefs. The Ravens move up into eighth and the Cowboys into ninth. Packers stay tenth. Seattle have finally dropped out of the top ten. It's taken me a while. I've listened to your thoughts. And realistically, considering that Russ is out for a number of weeks, four weeks is apparently the best case scenario, I had to do it. But they still held up pretty well against the Rams, I thought, with Gino in. So maybe there is still some light there. And the games that the Vichy have got coming up, plus a bye in that uh, spell, might not spell the end of the Seahawks season at all. Uh, Titans move back up into 14th. Uh, they just seem to go up and down each week. They're probably one of the few teams that do that. The Saints have gone up by three as well. The Broncos down into 18th. Um, the Eagles, you'll be glad to hear, Steve, up into 20th. I feel like they are, you know, that they're doing enough just to keep things going. Um, Steelers up into 24th. Washington down to 25th now. And the bottom is very much the same, apart from the Lions move up to 30th, putting Houston in 31st, simply because... The Lions are going to get a win from somewhere. They're going to pull out something from somewhere, and I feel like it's coming soon. But uh, yeah, we're starting to see a bit of a bit of a plateau. We're starting to see a bit of consistency now, lads. I feel. 
it feels as though we're getting towards a bit of consistency. As always, get involved, interact with us. We get lots and lots of takes on Josh's power rankings. Article will go live up on the website on Wednesday as normal, but obviously, as we've just said there, you will see the graphic with the overall detail. Steve, rip it apart for 60 seconds, my friend. I want to get angry. This is the part of the show where I get angry and there's nothing to be but angry you can't. about again. You've done it again, Josh. <laughs> Two weeks in a row. No, I think it's just, it, there's only minor things, isn't there? Like, I'd possibly put Kansas City down a few just because... I'd, of the and the Cowboys just, up, I'm guessing. Yeah, and Ravens and the Packers, really. I think all three of those would probably be above them. It's only minor things, really. The Vikings probably a little bit lower. The Colts yeah. certainly a bit lower. Um, but it's only minor things. I, I agree with what you were saying about, like, teams like Washington and Miami, that they're, they're, they're hurtling down that table. And it's like, how bad are these teams when they were started off so bright? Um yeah. And uh, yeah, again, uh, New York should be bottom because uh, Kadarius Tony threw a punch at a man with a helmet on. So there we go. <laughs> you keep he saying this, but you wouldn't him. want Tony to throw one at you. He wouldn't mind if he was wearing a helmet, Josh. I've got to be honest, I don't think he'd care too much. <laughs> Maybe Deontay Wilder should have wore a helmet on Saturday night. Maybe that would have uh, evened up the, uh, the boxing. Let's very quickly then, fellas, touch on game balls. The article's gone live today. Um, Brilliant bit of writing, as always, from Sean Tyler. If you haven't read it yet, please do go and check it out. I know Sean's loving writing that for us this season. Um, in terms of Offensive Player of the Week, we, well, I say we, Sean went for Tom Brady, Defensive Player Derwin James, Coach Sean McDermott, the Play of the Week, the Michael Dixon double punt. If you haven't seen it, that that is worth watching just on its own, the double punt. That was a fantastic play for Michael Dixon. And then just to round it off, the gaff of the week, another punter who uh, managed a net punt of zero yards. And much to my amazement, it wasn't Jamie Gillen of the Cleveland Browns. It was uh, Cameron Johnson of the Houston Texans. So very quickly, fellas, I think, you know, lots and lots of good offensive performances in particular this week. Um, any major complaints with Sean's selections? Anybody you want to throw up different? Josh, let's start with you. Yeah, so as you know, I'm the one that puts the polls up and over half of people have said Lamar Jackson. And I think it's well-deserved considering his 442 passing yards and 37 off 43. For a guy that I've said can't pass, he's you know definitely proved me wrong there. And uh, maybe we are seeing a different side of Jackson. I feel like he is definitely worthy of it. But maybe Sean wasn't really watching Monday Night Football, so we'll let him off. <laughs> he does mention Lamar Jackson in his article, to be fair to Sean. Steve, any, uh, any differences for yourself? Uh, I'd say Darius Slay's defensive player. Um, he had two interceptions. I think he only allowed around four receptions for about 30 yards. Uh, he had himself a week and, and finally started to justify that $17 million a season price tag in, in Philadelphia. Um, but that double punt is, I think it's incredible that he manages to pick up the ball and then get the punt off. Like how does how does someone not get the ball in that in that space? It's miraculous, but it's a wonderful play. Incredible, really. It is, and the best thing about it is even the commentary team didn't know if it was legal or not. It's just something that nobody's ever seen. Yeah, even, e- even the rules, even the rules analyst didn't know. Yeah, just phenomenal, phenomenal play. Um, only thing for me, I think you know, I can understand Derwin James, but oh, I struggle to give a defensive player of the week to a team that give up forty-two points. It seems a little, little strange. And coach again, Sean does mention it in the article, so please do go and read it and check it out. But I've mentioned him already, not just this week, in previous weeks. Brandon Staley, 
the yeah, Los Brand- Angeles Brandon Chargers. Brandon Staley's got to be coach of the coach of the week, and the also that's what the Chargers, public gave absolutely. it as well, 61%. And also for Gaff of the week, I know that they said Cameron Johnson, but can we give it to Evan McPherson for celebrating a kick that went wide? He's <laughs> yeah, celebrating it like he's just won the game. He's getting lifted up by people. This is a good five, six seconds afterwards, and they're like, "What do you mean it didn't go in?" <laughs> it was so close; it actually hit the, hit the, the flag. wind flag at the top of the post. That's how close it was. <laughs> oh, yeah, oh it was, such uh, a shame for him. To be fair, it was, it was. But um, yeah, like I say, please do go and check it out um, and get involved in the polls um, that we put out each and every week. I always look forward to that coming out on a Tuesday and it will continue to do so over the course of the next few weeks. Right, fellas, I think that wraps it up in terms of week number five. Week number six to look forward to. Another London game, a London game that I'll be going to, so we'll get all into that on Thursday's edition of the podcast. Thanks ever so much, everybody, for listening. Tuning in, all those good things. Keep everything peeled, full 10 yards, not just for your NFL, but for your college action and fancy football and betting as well we'll be back very very soon until then we will speak to you very soon thanks for listening to the podcast don't forget to find us on all our social channels twitter instagram facebook tiktok and youtube head over to our website full10yards.com where you can find out more information about why we are hashtag for the game